regular, regular, regular features. A regular, regular, regular features. A regular, regular, regular features. A regular features of Sean. Hello and welcome to episode something of the Regular Features Podcast, the podcast that's exactly the same every week. Week in, week out. Week, week it all about. Week it all about. <laughs> my name is Steve Hogarty, and this week I'm joined by my Bez Mezzes. Gav Murphy. Gav Murphy. You yeah. were wondering if you were my Bez Mez. Well, you were looking me directly in the eye, so I should have answered a bit quicker, but yeah. I'm just having, I'm just enjoying the ride. Just and enjoying the ride. Joe Scrabbles. And who's got features? What's your feature about, Joe? Me, me, me. I got a feature. I am delving into musical history to bring you the unseen story of a very famous song indeed. That's making me hard to hear that. <laughs> Gavin. Uh, I've improved on the TV series Chernobyl in every single way. Easy to do. Easy to do because it's just a bit grim. <laughs> Shall we? Shall we just do it? Shall we? Why don't we, we start with a little discussion of a modern film? Oh, the film that I saw? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> regular features, regular features, regular features now. <laughs> That's awful. Have you seen Sisters Brothers? Sisters Brothers. What the hell is that? The John what is C. that? John C. Riley. Oh, oh. Western. Joaquin uh, Phoenix. That looks amazing. Joaquin. Joaquin Is that how you say it? Is yeah. it good? Joaquin um, Phoenix is yeah, the really Joker. Is it serious or is it a bit silly? It's serious. Is it? Yeah. I like it's it when... It's also a bit silly. I love times. it when John C. Riley gets serious. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he's the tears of a clown. Yeah. Because then you know some big shit's going to go down. Yeah. Like in Gangs in New York, anytime John C. Riley's on the beat, because mm-hmm. he plays a policeman... Anytime you see him walking around, you're like, oh, shit, anything could happen. That boy's capable of anything. Yeah. He's yeah. in Magnolia as well, isn't he? As he a is, sad yeah. man. Magnolia. He's in... Uh... Kevin. The famous Kevin film. What's that? We need to talk about Kevin. Oh, I've never seen that. He's that. He's the dad in that. Is he? Um, Not a lot of laughs. Quite serious in... Uh, what's that porn one? By Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. He's in that. It's quite mm. serious in that. Although quite silly serious in that. Yeah. I always re- misremember that film as being a lot more fun than it is. And I go, oh, yeah. And then on a Sunday afternoon, I'll go, oh, I fancy watching Boogie Nights. Because I remember the first hour of that where everything's on the up and you, that everything's going well for Marky Mark and his big dick. And before mm. you know it, Alfred Molina's in his oh, pants yeah. shouting at you. I think Not yeah, nice. it's the bit with... Um, What's his chops from Shameless? What's his John, name? Uh, not John C. Riley. That's yeah. that guy, William H. Macy. William H. When he walks in on his wife all the time and she's always cheating on him, she's always shouting horrible things at him. That's the bit of the film I can't. Yeah. I don't like William H. Macy is instant. I watched a bit of um, Jurassic Park three the other day, mm. and William H. Macy is he makes me sad. Yeah, <laughs> like I just look at him, and he, even when he's being funny, he makes me sad. Have you seen a film he's in called The Cooler? No. This is brilliant. And it's based on real things that happens at casinos. Okay. Um, there's a thing called the cooler, which they hire people who are just bad luck and have bad vibes on them to go stand next to people at uh, casinos <laughs> that kind of, I'm like, <laughs> with the idea that their bad vibes kind of like waft into their hands before they roll a dice. That's and built stuff. for William H. Macy. And he is the cooler. Of course um, he is. They call, they call the cooler. And I thought this is was all. That, is that a real thing? Though? I thought it was bollocks. And it was invented for this film. It's a real thing. They have like 
People with bad luck. Yeah. It's like someone walks underneath a ladder and then goes to the craps table. Yeah, people who to are fuck famous. up someone's yeah. winning streak. It's almost like energy vampires. He, <laughs> if he was, we've well, you've either listened to last podcast or watched what we do in the shadows this yes. week. But both of which <laughs> covered that subject. That's well, insane because last would, podcast has done an absolute. It's an a actual, full episode on psychic vampires. What? Yeah. Ooh. Let's not. Let's not. Yeah. Tee yeah, up a much fine. more successful sure, podcast than ours. Yeah. Um, but casinos, like, they're all about science and statistics. Yeah. Like, they know exactly what the odds are, are of everything. But, but also, they, you, don't, they don't believe in winning streaks. They count on our belief in winning streaks in order to make money. Yeah. But, but I wonder if, if you think back to my memory of every casino owner with it chomping on their big cigar, with their big Texan hat, walking around going, whoo boy, uh, either like the Texan in The Simpsons or Biff Tannen. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's who I think owns every... Uh, it's not above any of them yeah. to believe in the cooler. What about... Um, there must be a statistical value you can apply to someone being a bummer. Like in the American sense, <laughs> not, not in the not in the <laughs> homophobic sense. I was like, oh, this podcast is taking a turn. I did not mean it that way. <laughs> like a guy standing next to you just being a bit downbeat about everything. Yeah. Do you reckon he, he sort of puts He's gonna change the, bummer how you puts bet. the willies up you? <laughs> the bummer puts the willies up you before you do a big bet. <laughs> Wait, which which, which bummer are we talking about? <laughs> Before you do craps. Um, <laughs> it's usually after you do craps, Joe. I don't know. Joe, you're being quite offensive uh, to my gay friend Steve <laughs> right now. I just want to point out, if long as he, I'm sure you wouldn't be happy either. Accidentally. <laughs> it's different that way. Good. Let's not stop it there. Keep talking about casinos so it doesn't oh, end on that bit. I don't want the jingle to come after that. But <laughs> to go back to your initial point, brothers, sisters. The sisters, brothers. The sisters, it's, brothers. It's, it's a couple of um, hitmen cowboys. Okay. And they are, they're surname, their surname is sisters, so they are the sisters, brothers. Right, okay, that's yeah. the, the irony of their name. Um, John C. Riley is like the sensitive one. Ooh. And then his brother... Wagwan Phoenix. Wagwan uh, Phoenix. Wagwan Phoenix. He's the more uh, sort of street maniacal, <laughs> psychopathic one who, who, who like loves a bit of the, the violence. Mm. Uh, but they're both really good at shooting people. Mm. There's a couple of scenes where like they shoot people real nice. Uh, and there's um, a bit in it where they, they make camp it's very strange. It's very sort of atmospheric, like ambient film where some just like long drawn out scenes of just like the Oregon plains and mm-hmm. stuff. And the boring bits. Yeah. And, yeah, boring bits where there's no like tits or guns happening. Mm-hmm. Or like there's a great, it opens on this great scene where it's like it's almost perfectly pitch black. And then you hear the sisters brothers say, get out of here. We're the sisters brothers and we're going to fuck you up. And then you just see these flashes of gun, like guns going off, yeah. like in the distance, and the sort of the snap of it. It's really good, like really well shot. Um, and there's a bit in it where John C. Riley gets bitten by a spider while he's sleeping. It goes into his mm-hmm. mouth, and he wakes up and he's paralyzed. And a bear attacks his horse, <laughs> and he attack ride, of the animals. He rides around. He spends the rest of the. This film. sounds like. Talladega Nights the Old West yeah. now. <laughs> he rides around on a horse and the horse has this big infected face because it's got gashed by a bear. Mm. Um, and then there was, I don't want to spoil it, but the horse ends up dying. Yeah. And John C. Riley gets, 
really upset about the horse I'd be upset being dead that happened mm-hmm. to me. and I, th- I think it's it's sort of an allegory for you know some sort of repressed emotions that he has about his relationships with other people mm. and um I got really upset when I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> I'd had a lot to drink during the day, but I was there with my flatmate, and like when John C. Riley was talking to Riz Ahmed, who's also in, <gasps> right? Yeah, I love him. Riz Ahmed, who's come up with a special formula for gold panning that makes all the gold flash, <laughs> like you've cast a spell in yeah. World of Warcraft. <laughs> and um, yeah, he was just saying. Yeah, he, he was a middling horse, but it's really got to me. And it's like, fucking hell, John C. Riley. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best thing you've done since Steve Brule. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. I can recommend it. Sisters Brothers. That's my film recommendation <laughs> of the week. Features. We are best friends. But you wouldn't know because you've no friends. Unless I'm somewhere where I really want to sit in there and have a nice time just for being in that place. Mm. I will never order a half or a two-third beer that they don't sell as a pint. I don't get it. I don't want it. I don't need your little tipple. Especially if they're selling it at the same price as a pint. The, but also, I would maybe, if I was at a place where there wasn't something on the menu that I was like, well, Nekol is in my top five beers mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. like, well, it's £4.90 for the pint out there. Well, it's £4.95 for a two-thirder over there. I'm like, I'll probably just have my favourite beer. Yeah, yeah. it's it mad, isn't it? Like, Don't experiment with it. Well, these half pints are getting very popular now. People are, people are regularly buying half pints rather than full pints. Well, I keep hearing about how young people are going to the gym instead of the pub. Mm. Well, that's stupid. It's really serve beer at the gym. This, I mean, what if they did, though? There's a thing you can do. I think um, it's not brew dog, but it's someone like that. Um, that do like a running club, and then you do a running club, and then you have a beer at the end of it. That sounds all right. Yeah, it does, Just actually, one. isn't it? Do you look at that? What okay, actually, that? that's a really good <laughs> idea. <laughs> I went for a, a, a seven-kilometer run. Did you? Yesterday, and then when I got to the end of the run, I went to Sainsbury's and bought a liter of vodka for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just do that? Yeah, let's do Steve's running clubs. <laughs> fucking awesome. Run for vodka. <laughs> I think it might be a tramp. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was a fucking state when I ran into Tesco. <laughs> Like still jogging on the spot. <laughs> In my head, it's a bottle of Russian standard. It's like, ah, oh, this please. I hair everywhere. <laughs> I've just got enough spare change. I'm coming. In my head, it's like uh, Homer when he's uh, when he's wearing the moo moo. He's having that meltdown. He's like, hey man, you gotta give me the moo. You gotta give me the. It's like you better get to it. Call us out. Hey man, I gotta get this Russian standard. I really want to drink over here. I just have seven kilometers. Please, please, just take it. <laughs> What was it that our friend Johnny told us about the vodka the other day? What's the famous the vodka with just a normal man's name at the front? Is it like Fred's vodka or Paul's vodka? Oh, Glenn. Glenn's Glenn. vodka. Yeah. Do you know what the tagline to Glenn's vodka is? And this is on the cap. It's <laughs> the exciting vodka. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking amazing. I mean, all vodka is exciting. If yeah. You fucking if you have enough of it. Bottle. You've just been on a run. <laughs> 
<laughs> in my head as well, you'll wear one of those like little uh, silver blankets they give you at the end of the marathon. <laughs> <laughs> Big metal on you, but it just says shagger. <laughs> Reese is away for a week as well, and I almost sent him a, mes- a message, like a picture of the vodka Sweet. saying, just bought this at the end of a 7K run, but I don't want him to see how much of it's gone when he comes <laughs> Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> That's a slippery slope. Like, where's, that, where's that Lisa Revolta that you bought? Friends oh. came over. What friends? You don't know them. Yeah. <laughs> I know everyone that you know. <laughs> I made new ones on my run. You know <laughs> Jam. Jam. <laughs> it's my friend Jam from Jam. Steve's Running Club. Steve's Running Club. Like, that's my friend. Is my friend Glenn? What's his second name? Vodka. Bazaar. <laughs> Glenn Who's the exciting friend? <laughs> Uh, this week, I won't lie, I didn't don't really have much of a feature. I know I said I had one, but I've you, sort of... You were talking a big game. Yeah, I've done... Well, I've sort of been working on a little side project. Um, I can do little sort of musical histories. Ooh. Like a, a little... Mu- like a history of a song. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, That's cool. And I thought in lieu of proper feature, I'd just read out what I'd written for my musical history book <laughs> that okay. I'm definitely going to make now. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just an excerpt. Just yeah. see what you think. Let's spitball It's a shame it. you couldn't have a feature for us, but yeah, this, yeah, yeah. I guess we'll do as a stand. It's okay. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's me talking for a while. That's yeah. basically the same. He was known by many names. Mr. Dynamite. Mr. Please Please. The Godfather of Soul. The hardest working man in show business. Henry Funk. Jeremy Funk. <laughs> Ian Funk and Smith. The Trumpet Lodestone. In France, he was Le Funke Latrice. In Spain, El Matador del Boogie. And in Germany, Der Mensch der Savol, die Ziele als auch den Geist der Revolution durch lustige kleine wackelige Tanze verkehrt. Which translates as the human who embodies both the soul and spirit of revolution through fun little wiggly dances. But to his mother, he was just James Joseph Brown, the wide-faced purveyor of world-changing funk. And in 1966, he was at the top of his game. He'd cracked the Billboard charts for the first time, sold a million copies of his Live at Apollo record, and upstaged the Rolling Stones at their own concert. He was a phenomenon. He'd also begun his prominent career in being an absolute piece of shit. After beginning <laughs> after beginning a relationship with a 17-year-old girl, Tammy Terrell, then systematically abusing her for two years, which makes anything I say about a famous dead man in the rest of this documentary basically fine. But he was about to take another step into stardom when he released Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. It would become his first top 10 single, win him his first Grammy, birthed funk as a movement, and would later lend its name to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episode, Papa's Got a Brand New Excuse, which ends with that really sad bit where Will Smith cries and Uncle Phil hugs him, was and it goes to credits without music or the customary outtakes. Was that the actual name of the episode? Papa's, Papa's Got, got, a, got brand a Brand New, new excuse. excuse. Jesus. And that episode also sort of legitimised Smith as an actor and not just a rapper that white people liked. Why don't you love me? <laughs> That's what he says, right? Yeah. yeah. At the very end, he says, why doesn't he want me? Why doesn't he want me? And then me? he cries. And Uncle Phil and embraces him. Actually, I watched it again. It made me cry again. I need him then and I don't need him now. <laughs> Will. Now, you know what, Uncle Phil? I'm going to get through college without him. I'm going to get a great job without him. I'm going to marry me a beautiful honey. And I'm having me a whole bunch of kids. I'm going to be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as hell don't need him for that. Because ain't a damn thing he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. How come he don't want me, man? But also, at the same time, 
it's his mum that sends him away for playing basketball. No, but it's his dad who's been gone his whole life. Yeah. His mum's looking after him. His dad's just fucked off. Come back in the episode. His mum's doing nice. the opposite of looking after him. She's doing fuck all. I honestly think you'd be in a minority of people who blame <laughs> the mum. No, I'm not blaming the mum, but I'm just saying I she's think... as culpable as the deadbeat dad. I also think the the introduction in every episode of Fresh Prince of Bella yeah. is, a, is a gross simplification of the, the reasons why he had to leave and also, West Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't because someone picked him up and span him around. But you're <laughs> saying that for one way. What if it's a gross simplification in terms of laziness on the mum's part? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. It also presents his mum in every episode as like a Monty Python-style old bag. Yeah. When yeah. actually it in the played show, by Will Smith. like a nice lady. <laughs> Nice lady, if a bit lazy. Anyway, we've gotten off the point here, which is James Brown. <laughs> James Brown ascended into lifelong fame, netting him a Hollywood star, multiple spots in musical halls of fame, the main part in one of my favourite bits in the Blues Brothers and the Pièce de Résistance, a slot supporting the Red Hot Chili Peppers at Hyde Park when I was 13, but I wasn't paying much attention because two women started getting off with each other next to me and I'd never really seen that before. I also, also, I also love that scene in Blues Brothers. It's a really good scene. <laughs> Do you see the light? Do you see the light? I also love <laughs> two women getting off with each other when I'm 13. <laughs> Wait, who took you to the gig? Me. Me and my friends went. It's my first ever gig. When you were 13 years old? Yeah, boy. Bloody hell. Cool Hyde Park boy. They let you go see The Godfather of Soul. Well, no, amazing. they let me see Red Hot Chili Peppers, and then The Godfather of Soul turned up right. unannounced as a sport act. <laughs> also, I should say, there's part and parcel of his fame. He beat up pretty much every woman he was ever with, and people just kept letting him get off. <laughs> let him, sorry. Keep <laughs> letting him off with it, despite being so obvious what a fucking asshole he was. Is that true? Yes. Is it really? Yeah, he's one of the biggest pricks in history. <laughs> Apart oh. from all his work to do good things. Sorry, Mr. Oh. Brown, policeman would say, but kicking your pregnant girlfriend down oh. the stairs, which is a thing you allegedly did, let's not forget that, really is the limit. But then Brown would do that thing where he made his feet wiggle around so competently that he just glided away like he's on an airport travelator. And the cops would be so mesmerised that by the time they realised they'd been bamboozled, Brown would be across state lines and they'd just give up again. <laughs> is he dead? Yeah. Good. That'll fucking Aww. learn him. But amidst that screaming rise to power, quieter questions about James Brown's work were left unheard and unanswered. Well, one question, really. If Papa's got a brand new bag, what's it for? After all, a bag is merely a vessel, no matter how new and fancy it is. What will Papa put in that bag? Now let's get one thing out of the way. If you look this question up online, the so-called experts will tell you that the bag in question is a metaphor. The bag being your current interest. In the case of the song, the so-called experts say the titular papa's new bag is in fact a load of fancy new dance moves, like the boomerang and the jump back jack. Oh, so it's like when people say that's not my bag. That's the bag. That's what the experts about. say. I've got a brand new bag. I've got a, I've got a new thing. Mm. Yeah, it's not an actual bag. I I always thought it was like a. You like didn't a, think it was an actual bag. I always thought of a brown leather satchel. <laughs> He was very proud of it. I think you need to rewrite that song now. <laughs> like it's just about a big rucksack. He's he's like this will looks like it should be checked in at an airport. <laughs> Tell you what, 
It'll go in an easy jet yeah. overhead cabin. So I'm sorry, James Brown, your new bag doesn't, doesn't fit in this. It's like, you stop trying to cram it in there, yeah, James. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you, as It'll you're getting on, they're like, we just have to put a yellow We're tag around that. It's going to put in the it hold. under the yeah. hold. I'm for, sorry. They always say, like, oh, we'll put it in for free. It's like the fact that I've got to pay for it has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Mm. It's time. It's got time my iPad in it. Equals money. Some will even say that the lyrics to this song make this incredibly easy to prove that it is a metaphor and that any further investigation is at best stupid. All of this is easily disproved. Everybody knows that song lyrics have to have a second hidden meaning. U2's Sunday Bloody Sunday might seem to be a song about the troubles, but it's actually about how Bono hated going to church because he'd miss his cartoons. Summer of 69 is about how Brian Adams used to do that sex move on Joy Division guitarist Bernard Sumner. <laughs> <laughs> All songs are codes. That's why you can't just go writing a song out of nowhere and you have to get a degree first. What's more, if a song's lyrics appear outwardly to be a metaphor, then they have to secretly be about something literal. It's the rules. Papa's brand new bag must be a literal bag. A bag for holding things. But what things? Let's look at the lyrics. If we take Papa to be brown himself, the Italians call him Il Padre del Tromboni, the father of trombones, after all, the repeated mentions of dance moves might seem to suggest the bag is for James Brown's soft-soled dancing shoes. Then again, the line, he's not too fancy but his line is pretty clean, points to another possibility. Brown was a renowned drug abuser. That line could be a line of cocaine. How does they keep that cocaine so clean? By keeping it in a fresh new bag. All of these are eminently mutable, but the very contradictions within the song's lyrics that provide these multiple interpretations in turn rule them out. There must be a Papa's Bag unifying theory, and I believe I've found it. At a recent jumble sale, I discovered what could be considered the Papa's Bag Rosetta Stone, the single meeting point of every coded message within the song, James Brown's Teenage Diary. Not unlike the true grail in Indiana Jones, the diary's exterior is unassuming, a yellowing exercise book with JB's Keep Out Mom written across the front in 1940s gel pen. But not unlike the true, true grail in Indiana Jones, what's inside that unassuming exterior is just yummy. What becomes very clear, very quickly, is that Brown's approach to diarising is less emotional than scientific. Brown wrote extensively about his puberty, detailing and describing every new change in his body. He is pleased with his budding moustache. He mentions his teenage face grease like a proud father. And he lords every new pube for its journey to the outside world. But he absolutely hates his balls. I quote, I can't wait until my balls change. I hate these balls. They're so wrinkly, like a bulldog's ass area. I hate them. Go away, balls. <laughs> when did you write this? This morning. <laughs> In the diary's early pages, there are hopeful tracts on how Brown's balls will one day become powerful and smooth, his package taut and strong like a cue ball, right down to the clack it would make if and when he hit it with other pool balls. Slowly over time, that hope gives way to despair. As his child's body becomes a man's, it seems to work its way around his balls, ignoring them even. The final entry in the diary simply reads, Fuck my balls. It's not a leap to see what came next. As Brown's fame and fortune grow over the years, the reality of his wrinkly little nuts never left him. One could speculate that Brown's own trademark dance moves were a curse as much as a blessing, each shake and shimmy causing a thick slap, a reminder of his shame. 
But I'm a historian. I'll leave such speculation to novelists. What's provable is that months before the recording session that would birth Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, Brown visited an experimental private hospital in Yorkshire, St Edmund's House for Rich People, and didn't emerge for some weeks. That hospital closed down in 1978. Why? Because someone found a big dumpster full of old nuts out back. I put it to you that Papa is James Joseph Brown, and his brand new bag? A surgically grafted pseudo-scrotum of his own design. I also put it to you that in the excitement and delight of getting the balls of his childhood dreams, Brown used his convalescence to scribble some celebratory lyrics about his fresh new bag. Consider the evidence. Papa's in the swing. It was now Papa swinging, not his slapping nutsack. He ain't too hip about that new breed thing. The operation left him sterile. That new breed are the children he could not create by choice, so he is not hip to it. Says he's uptight. <laughs> Says he's uptight. He's out of sight. You can't see his balls, but they're really taut. And he's up. And up. He's doing the jerk. Well, let's just say he liked the look of those new nuts of his. The evidence is overwhelming and obvious in retrospect. Those lyrics, that title, the sheer exuberance of the orchestration. This was a celebration, a welcome party for James Brown's pride and joy. It wasn't the last song he wrote about his bag. Not by a long shot. Sex Machine, Hot Pants, My Thang, and his later ode to his original nuts, Lost Someone, were still to come. But it was his first and most important. And so, to answer my own question, what did Papa put in his brand new bag? Come. <laughs> Brown jizz. <laughs> James Brown's jelly-like jizz. <laughs> what I'd also like to say is, as Joe said, come, it felt like, it, and this isn't possible with human faces, it felt like he looked at both of us dead in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the connection. I know you did. <laughs> and it felt for a second we were all connected <laughs> by James Brown's cum. I like a regular feature, sir. You like a regular feature, too. Regular, regular feature, too. Malfunction. Malfunction. Who here has been watching Chernobyl? No, no, not the place, but the drama that they've made about. The, I want to see it. Come, the, if this is like the HBO drama that, that they have pitched right at the end of Game of Thrones yeah. to try and keep people on their now TV subscription. You know what? It's bloody worked because I will be watching it, and also it's really good. Come, I've um, heard good things. It's about the Chernobyl. Yeah, Chernobyl's not known for anything other than Chernobyl, is yeah, it? To be yeah. honest. Um, but it's about, yeah, the Chernobyl disaster that happened in Come. Chernobyl. Uh, in the Ukraine. <laughs> 83. Um, Hold on. Uh, yeah, I didn't really know anything about the Chernobyl disaster other than it was a pretty bad thing that went down. So for me, this drama has been fantastic. In 1986. So we were close. We were three years off. Which is, given the scale of the disaster, far, far too late for anyone to come and help. <laughs> if the disaster response came three Wait, you're, years so late. you're working on the idea that the disaster response would go, well, we were told. <laughs> we were told it was 1986. Um, but yeah, it happened in the Ukraine. So, but... All the actors in it are not doing Ukrainian accents. Mm. They're what doing, is the Ukrainian accent? Uh, well, that's the thing. I'm not sure, but I could understand. I if hey, I was man, I've, I've got, got the chino 
disaster over here. Yeah, yeah. I got radiation. My wife, she's got three legs. What am I gonna do? My kids got wings. My He's baby's a dragonfly. He's flying around. <laughs> I can't tell him the truth. I'm crazy. Ukrainian. What yeah. you're d- doing is what I imagine Chernobyl the show is actually like because I know it's people not doing those accents so I'm just imagining well that's the thing when I first heard about it I thought maybe they're going to do whenever there's like anything uh, remotely Soviet it's just awful awful underwater like or like die hard bad guy yes exactly Um, but they're not doing that what they've done and I actually think this is quite smart is they have taken lots of different regions of Britain and like they've put people with like different. There's a lot of northern people in there. There's a lot of like regional. Okay. There's a lot of regional accents so they did, in there. They did this. So they did this with like Death of Stalin, right? Yes, it's exactly Where like that. They cast yeah. people in like so like Stalin himself was an East London gangster voice. Yeah, and basically this gave an impression of who he was within Russia. Yeah, and then the guy, the head of the army, was a broad northerner. Yeah, and he yeah. was. Like a country guy in yeah. Russia, and mm. it sort of gave you a sense of which part of society they're from. And like Les Mis does it as well. Yes, that's true. Les Mis has like people with posh London accents. Yeah, they're like the more aristocratic upper class people, and then they have the working class people. They just give them all like northern accents. Yes, well, it's it's kind of similar to that. So Valerie, uh, who's played by Jared Harris, um, he's a professor and he's really clever. So he's just really posh. Mm-hmm. He's just got a posh English accent. Uh, Brukhanov, who's like a big boss of the power plant. Uh, he's a bit more working class, but also a bit more like the man. Um, he's got a very strange uh, sort of Bristolian accent. Um, Gorbachev, he's got a little accent on him. They actually give him a little accent. Gorbachev. Well, Russian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's also played by a guy who has, I think he is vaguely from around there. Um, so he has got a little accent on, on him. Uh, general Pikalov, he is a really sort of no-nonsense general. So quite a high up the ranks, but still quite working class. Do you know what accent he's got? Mm. Like, think of an accent that you're like, he's not to be trifled with in Britain. I'm going Yorkshire. Liverpool. Welsh. Welsh. Oh, he's Welsh. Um, and I a, when I hear Welsh accents, I don't think... Don't fuck with him. I think depends on how they're talking. I think yeah. nice. I think nice. lovely. Be lovely. friends. Uh, yeah, I want to make friends with them. But not if, if I was called General Murphy, you would be like, oh, he's lovely. But I mean, he's not got that title from nowhere. He's not got that title being nice, is he? I'll be like, sing. It's not unusual. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, no, sir. But, then, <laughs> but we're like, and unfortunately for every Welsh person, like we're legally bound to just belt that out <laughs> anytime that we're told to. So. Da, da, da. <laughs> You're like, no, my family's dead. Ma, ma, ma. Come on, Taffy. <laughs> Um, there's a man who's king of the miners. He's Scottish. King of the um, <laughs> there's also a lady professor called Ulana, um, who actually, when I looked into it, she doesn't actually exist in real life. She's like ten characters like boshed together into one. 
Oh, and um, that happened after Chernobyl. Ten people yeah. did meld into one person. <laughs> like the lived... boss of every Resident <laughs> Evil. <laughs> they lived for ten seconds in excruciating, unimaginable pain before dying. So that's her. Um, I'm she... Ulana, goodbye! <laughs> Ulana's got like a nondescript English accent, but she's the professor and she's, she's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best thing about it all, though, is obviously like the people playing the those accents they're just doing their normal accents so rather than get like american actors in it's all british it's all like any if you've watched uh, anything on like bbc or itv in the last 20 to 30 years they're all in chernobyl so any is it a british made tv show I think it's bbc and hbo yeah it's like bbc america and hbo doing it yeah so you've got um, the King of the Miners, who I mentioned earlier, that's Trevor, uh, the Scottish wife beater from EastEnders. Do you remember him? No. He beat, no. Up, he beat up little Mo. Uh, I know little Mo. Yeah. Well, the man who beat her up, Trevor, he's the King of the Sister Miners. Sister of Gary Oldman? No, that's Big Mo. Oh. <laughs> How stupid of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the fucking MCU. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> Uh, the dad from Friday Night Dinner, which I've never seen, but I've heard is very good. I've seen that, and it uh, is very good. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's in it. Uh, Chris Finch, or Finchy from The Office, he's in it. He yeah. plays like a government official. Uh, and basically anyone who has ever been in Doctors or Casualty, <laughs> they, get, they get looking. Yeah, they, which um, is like the modern, our modern version of the bill, right? Yeah. As, the, as a proving grounds yes. for actors. Or like in America, what would it be like? What's like General, General Hospital? General Hospital's the one everyone's been like, in. Like everyone's been in that. Um, it's just sort of a general hospital. Yeah, <laughs> it's just anyone's in it. Like, um, but <laughs> the best out of all of them, though, uh, I noticed in episode two is a fella called Victor Maguire, um, who is best known in my house anyway as Ron, the best friend and sidekick in Goodnight Sweetheart. <laughs> Oh, remember Ron, the Liverpudlian sort of funny man. He's quite a large, chunky chap. If like this is the thing, I tweeted about this the other day, and someone was like, oh, "I think you mean that that's Jack from Bread." And I was like, "No, in my house, he was Ron from Goodnight Sweetheart." In my house. I was like, "What did you, did you want me to just put his IMDb in a tweet? Yeah. It's not as funny, is it? You yeah. Idiot." I haven't watched Goodnight Sweetheart since I was since it was on. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to go back to it because I, I mean it's I watched a lot I've, of... in preparation for this feature. I watched about four episodes and it does hold up. Does it? Is it worth going back to? What's so, if it was someone... on Netflix? I'd be watching it all the time. Like I watch so much Jonathan Creek that it's yeah. annoying to my girlfriend. As someone who's never watched Goodnight Sweetheart, right? What is I know the concept. Well, I'll tell what's you the concept the, just in case. But what's the appeal? Just in case is the readers, f- may, yeah, they yeah, may not that. know the concept. So, Goodnight Sweetheart is a started in 1993, which, to be fair, I was eight when it started. So, <laughs> prime time. Yeah. Um, I watched an interview with Nicholas Lindhurst about it today, and I was like, oh, you're actually a bit of an idiot. Um, <laughs> so, it's a sitcom about a man called Gary who, uh, and I wasn't able to find actual reasons for why he's able to go back in time but for whatever reason it's a time he, portal in his he, shed he finds it's not in his shed um yeah. he finds a time portal um that lets him go back in time to the blitz era um, from 1993 uh, to world war ii and he ends up with this big double life uh which 
really only consists of him going back in time to World War II and being in a pub. <laughs> he just goes <laughs> there to aren't a many, pub. There aren't many sets. No. Um, <laughs> but the pub, I mean, I wasn't around in that time, but it looks authentic to me. And if this interview with the Radio Times uh, that I watched earlier is anything to be believed, then it's authentic to them as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Gary, played by Nicholas Lindhurst, goes back in time, and he has this kind of, like, double life. So he has a lady in the past and a lady in his present time as well. Yeah, um, so this is what I always hear, is that he's kind of an asshole, right? Yes. <laughs> like, he's cheating on two women in two different time periods. Yeah, yes, time he is. cheating. The worst but kind of cheating. You're not meant to... Th- yeah, exactly. You're not meant to think he's... But you are meant to think he's good. Well, do you know, this like is a, a thing, right? I well, think hang on. If, if it's back in time, like, Joe, are you cheating on your ex-girlfriend by having a current girlfriend? Seeing as they're happening sequentially. <laughs> oh, no. That's ridiculous, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this up now. The other day I remember talking to you about <laughs> how I hated cyclists who go through red lights. And then you said, but have you ever crossed a... A pedestrian crossing at a red when it was red, and at the time I was That's like, "That's such a mad answer." I, and I was like, "You know what? I think he's got me there." And then yes. this popped into my head the other day. I was like, "But one's illegal and one's not." Why didn't I say this at the time? And I was retrospectively furious with both of us. <laughs> well, this is what uh, Gary does in Good Night Sweetheart. So he basically is going back in time, um, having sex with a barmaid or bar manager. Sorry. Um, and also his wife in his current 1993 role as a person as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it that was the entire plot of it. And the entire plot of it is like all the jokes are like weird misunderstandings or I think he calls himself like James Bond. Um, so he, he calls himself 007. So he just basically, anything that's happening sort of in 1993, he'll say that that is happening. Yeah. And he, he'll like have like prior knowledge of it. It's also like, like the yeah. plot of this new Beatles film coming up where, that, oh, yeah. where yeah, the guy yeah. uh, wakes up in a world where the Beatles never existed, but mm. he knows all of their songs and yeah. comes up with them himself. Yeah. He actually does that in Goodnight Sweetheart. He comes up with, yeah. he plays Beatles songs and everyone's yeah. like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. As So as a lifelong... Uh, Good night, sweetheart fan. When Ron turns up in Chernobyl episode two, um, I bloody lost my mind. <laughs> How long did it take you to realize it was Ron? I'm not even like bigging myself up. Seconds. <laughs> like, <laughs> like genuinely seconds. And you weren't even surprised. He came Hello, on, Ron. <laughs> he came on he came on screen. I went, mm, oh, that's Ron from Goodnight Sweetheart. That's and amazing. uh my lady friend could not have cared less <laughs> um but i don't know you guys have you watched any chernobyl no it's not cheery it's not a cheery affair well i know the ending um, it is it's dark it's dark like there's not many laughs at all really considering every single person in the cast was in fucking 2.4 children and birds of a feather yeah um there's there's not many laughs so what i thought would be funny is if Ron from Goodnight Sweetheart was in Chernobyl <laughs> being like Ron, because annoyingly, the guy, uh, Maguire, he does a little accent. He's not doing his little Scouse accent because he does a big Scouse accent because, I mean, that's where he's from. Yeah. Um, he's not doing his little Scouse accent in, in Chernobyl, but I thought it would be better as a series, Chernobyl, if he was actually playing Ron 
and not play in some Ukrainian dignitary. So we, we've arrived at your yeah. <laughs> Uh It seems a sheer little... Can you do a Scouse accent, Steve? Uh, if cal- not... Uh, calm down. All right, calm down. I'll do it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying I can do it better, but he doesn't say, all right, right, calm down. Calm down. All right, calm down. Uh, Who would like to be Emily Watson? Me. Professor. There you go, Joe. That's you. Uh, Steve, you're Gary. Great. I think that's for the best. Scene. <laughs> scene one brackets there, there is, is only, only one scene, scene. <laughs> the very clever professor played by emily watson walks into ron's office i've been running the numbers chief that big old foreign reactor's gonna go godzilla on all our asses eh, have you seen me mate gary like he's got a time machine that goes back to hitler time we could use that and put all the radioactive shite in it mm. To be honest, I, I'm less than excited about that prospect. How does the time machine thingy work? Well, me mate Gaddy like. Keep going. Stop breaking, Ron. Well, me mate Gaddy like. He chucks a little coat on and that, and then walks and sort of walks and then disappears into the wall. I'm not a scientist, Doc. That's your department. Okay. Well, I don't know how we'd get all the nuclear reactor in a coat to get him back to the war. Um. We can use them fire engines or them coal miners who keep getting their old boys out. You know, the one what beat up little Mo on Christmas Eve. I bet he's got access to a flatbed or something. No, all the firemen and coal boys are a fucking mess after we sent them underneath the exploded reactor. We're not sure what happened, but all their skin has fallen off. It's put us in a bit of a jam because they needed that skin for working. And now all the miners are running around with big bony rock-ons with no foreskin on them. It's icky and I'm really not into it. Know what he's like? Here comes me, mate, Gary. I've been banging on about. Gary enters. There you go, thank you. Here, Gary. You know your time machine thing, mate. Ron, I told you not to tell anyone about my time machine. But, putting my initial anger aside, what is your question about my time machine? Well, mate, could we stick a fucking mental nuclear reactor that burns off minor skin on it, then hoon it to the past to kill Hitler? No, Ron. My <laughs> wife and I think a baby I did her in the past. I can't risk them getting their skin burned off when we try and kill Hitler. Eh, come on, Gary, mate. Don't be tight. I love you put so much ears in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way I can do it. <laughs> Joe has just texted the regular features WhatsApp group, suggesting we go for a pint. Better wrap this up. That's that. That's Gav's also directions written into the script. That's also time travel. <laughs> I did that ages ago, but somehow it's now. Ron, your salt of the earth attitude and flagrant disregard for the safety of my wife and possible child have convinced me of the gravity of the situation. I know we've not been introduced or had any meaningful communications whatsoever, but you need to trust me. We're going to have to put some reverb on your voice to make sure that everyone knows it's stage directions. This is Steve whispering the science, secret science code in the professor's ear. Four, five times twelve. <laughs> you take away the electron, but then you add it to the fifth element. Wow! Your future man knowledge of nuclear reactors is second to none, and I now have the means to send this big grumpy reactor straight to Hitler's house. We did it, Gary, me old mate. We did. Well done, everyone. Good night, Ron, and good night, Professor. 
I'm sorry I didn't catch your name. It's Wheatheart. Professor Sandra Wheatheart. Well, good night, Miss Wheatheart. Wait a minute! <laughs> and the uh, good night, sweetheart uh, music plays, and that is the end of everything. Oh, good night, sweetheart. All my prayers are for. I said out loud a bunch of times, but I was like, I'll call her Sandra Wheatheart. <laughs> S. Miss Wheatheart. S. Wheatheart. S. Wheatheart. <laughs> Depending on how you said it. That is what happens in Chernobyl. Is that real? Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> I can't believe that they've taken that much liberty with fact. Well, it's because the, the real one is a bit boring. Yeah. That's why it's a miniseries, not a full series. They're like, oh, you can make a full one of this. I've just got to get it over with. What was that very popular TV show, The Man in the High Castle? Mm. Is it set in the Man in the High Castle universe? Yes. That would be good. Like good when, when Sweetheart could cross over with that. Yeah. Like when That's two sitcoms cross over and they have one episode in each. Yeah. Yeah. In the same time slot. So what you do is just you're watching Man in the High Castle and you have to switch over to Now TV to find out how... They sent a nuclear reactor back to Hitler's house. Yeah. And then you watch Man in the High Castle again. You realise the last episode of both Man in the High Castle and Chernobyl was an episode of The X-Files from 1995. Yeah, it's incredible. Or like, as both of them end... You just the TV just gets switched off and it backs out and it's Nicholas Lindhurst watching them both. He's going, "Wow, wow. that's it's, incredible!" It's, it's and then your doorbell rings and it's Ron <laughs> and it's Ron. Yeah, Gary, mate, we gotta go back. And he hands you a letter. It says, and you, "Fuck off." You open it and it's the date of your death. Oh, <laughs> you have a son and it is me. <laughs> You're very confusing. No one understood the ending. Love. But hey, still better than Game of Thrones this ending, am I right? <laughs> Fucking hell, he's done it. He's wrenched it back round. Thank you for listening to the Regular Features podcast. Thank you. It's been real nice to have you around. But for now, we only want to talk to one of you. Because last week, we mentioned that James Vokes, loyal listener and cat avatar Twitter user, had been increasing his pledge repeatedly, seemingly in a gamut to gain our attention and be read out multiple times. Tiny incremental amounts. And I, I believe Steve called it annoying. Because <laughs> <laughs> every time he did it, I got an email. But I quite like getting more money incrementally every single time. What's and it I, going up by? A it, bit. it was like a penny or two every time he did it. And it's like, he's messing around. James Vokes has messaged us during the week and has said... My pledge was going up by the Fibonacci sequence, so it could have increased forever. I and I, I, that's like, oh, I felt so ashamed that I didn't see the Fibonacci sequence. In <laughs> You're the, you and Log are the only two people out of the five of us who would ever yeah, have guessed. I am the maths bastard, yeah. and I should have seen that, and I should have been thrilled every time I saw the next number appear. But unfortunately, because you didn't see that, every time you were getting a little message, you were like, I hate this. Whereas, actually, if he'd said from the beginning, hey, Steve, little nudge, I'm going to be uh, creasing it like in the Fibonacci sequence, you'd have been like, oh, my God. I don't. That is so up my ass. That's it. You don't need the real your real name on Patreon. So he could have called himself 
Fibonacci man. Fibonacci yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, Voxy, Voxy, Fibonacci boy. He continues <laughs> saying, but it does take a while to get going. So I gave up and just increased it. I'll stop now. So mm. James Folks has stopped increasing. This is a, a plea. Please keep paying us more and more money every time. <laughs> but hey, if you don't, if you don't want to ascribe your pledge to any sort of mathematical sequence that we yeah. find pleasing, why not just choose a comfortable number like five and give <laughs> us that per episode? You can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash regular features. And we also have for patrons uh, some little secret treats up there too. Oh, yeah, there's lots up there now. Yeah, we put little extra scripts up there and stuff. So you know, increasing by the episode as you well. You can also go to regular features with a dot before the ES. That's our website. Yeah. Where Log has been uploading uh, scripts and stuff to a featurepedia. Yeah. So you can look, you can read. You can read it like we're clickhole, which we all think we are. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Also, I do really want to do that thing you brought up. Uh, the fact that there's that AI that can automatically create more stuff in oh a given my God. tone. Yes. Yeah. And I did a load based on a single paragraph of the Daddy Champion feature. And it's I did. so much better than anything it that we could do. Honestly, is it's like an AI is a better Daddy Champion than I ever was. I it's think we fucking maybe, incredible. We should do an episode based like someone has to chair this. I think, but like what one person goes away takes bits of say our top five features. And then creates things based on single lines or single paragraphs from that, and then we have to attribute whether or not those are. So we just have a we could have a neural network do an entire episode of regular features. Well, I was going to yeah. suggest we make, and then that we can a do Patreon deep fakes of our voices as well, so that they just read the fucking thing out. So and I we sit back and just like reap the rewards. I was going to suggest we do this as a Patreon extra, but this sounds like we could make real money from it by putting it out as a normal episode. Yeah, yeah. But that, also, that'd be a really good episode as well because some of the stuff that you were putting in the WhatsApp, I was like, I, and this is not a slight on anything you've ever written because I think everything you've ever written is fucking hilarious. Come. Not tell the difference yeah. <laughs> between yeah. something written by that mad robot bastard and yourself. But the great thing about neural networks is that it could make a million episodes of regular features a second. Yeah. yeah. We could literally stop now. Like, there's... <laughs> There's so much. Let computers take over. There's so much regular features. If we just, all we'd have to do is transcribe it all once, and that would take a long time. But then we just feed that into a neural network. It would create every episode of regular features forever, forever. Okay, guys, uh, th thank you for listening to this episode <laughs> of the podcast. This is the bit where we say that episode was written by a neural network. Uh, and I, I, I don't know about so you guys. So don't moan about it because you didn't out, even know. That came out quite well. Because really, if you think about it, it got my quite James... meta towards the end where it started talking well, about Well, also, my James Brown feature is essentially a lazy rehash of my Mambo's feature. And that's how you could tell <laughs> yeah. that what it had done is just taken that and remade. And that's why the machines will never win. <laughs> yeah, we've sussed them. And you can't tell what's real on the internet. So if you have seen naked pictures of me, a computer drew them. So delete, might as well just delete them. Don't send them. Don't send the them to people. Just delete them. It's not even real. Bye. Come.